0: Hello, and welcome to the Left Tuck Larry Podcast. I'm Greg Shecklin, and I'll be joined alongside you in Chapman. This week we're going to be discussing the big UFC card that happened this weekend and there is a lot to talk about so let's get into it. We'll start with uh, the biggest fight, then the uh, the light heavyweight championship fight between Izzy and Yan. Um, this was, I think, a little bit of an anticlimax in some ways, but the fact that Izzy sort of lost his and beat him record makes the fight, I guess, just exciting in itself, even if it wasn't necessarily the fight that we were hoping for. Um, I'm just trying to think sort of how I look to this fight, you know, as the fighters walking into the cage um, and I thought Jan actually looked a little bit nervous. I don't know if that's just how he always looks for fights. It's not something I've noticed before. Um, the commentators are very quick to pick, to, to pick out that Izzy didn't look nervous, but I think that sort of changed once they started fighting because it was a very tentative start from both fighters. Um, and I think as the fight progressed, Jan was just able to, to use his size and strength a little bit more um, and pretty much took Izzy's best shots as well. So, um, how did you see this fight? You know, what what sort of things are you thinking and and how did this play out versus what you expected?
1: Honestly, Greg, I think I was half asleep for most of this fight. Um, I think I had high expectations going in that it was going to be a bit of a firefight, standing in trade but battle, and we just did not get that at all. Um, I mean, it, for me, it seemed that, you know, Izzy... Realised quickly that he didn't have the kind of power that was going to be enough to stop Yan in his tracks, and Yan seemed really tentative to actually push onto the front foot and and really challenge Izzy into a striking battle, battle, which is why we ended up seeing it just you know being taken to the ground, and it was kind of inevitable, um, and it's probably a smart thing to do when you're an elite fighter and you're just trying to get the win um Mm -hmm. but was just disappointing because you in those kind of fights and especially say for someone like izzy you want you want to see him be being beaten outright and especially his own game which i think is kind of what you'd have got if you'd have seen him fight john jones and lose Mm -hmm. uh it have been a stand-up war but um you know it's just a bit of a shame that he had to be be wrestled out of his um out of his uh winning winning streak
0: yeah and, and actually i i don't think that Jan's takedowns were particularly damaging, really. Like until the very last few seconds where he was fully in mount position, like actually raining down on him. I think until then, it was quite a slow, methodical type of grappling, which is really just there to score points. And I think well, that was a particularly disappointing. It was sensual. Really.
1: It was a sensual grappling.
0: Yeah. Oh, no, it was, I think, well, as soon as he realized that, you know, he had that massive weight advantage and, you know, once he figured how to use it, um, it was, uh, it was difficult really for Izzy, Actually, like an interesting thing, which came up again, and this is a topic that which we, we keep coming to on his podcast, but, um, a lot of people talking again about the potential bias <laughs> on, on the commentary. Um, what did you think of that? Because, uh, I could sort of see where they were coming from, um, in the first couple of rounds, they were talking a lot about, um, how Izzy was like fainting a lot with his strikes as he always does. And the fact that Jan was like sort of biting on those feints and sort of, you know, shifting and moving around in reaction to them. Um, and I saw one tweet in particular, which said, you know, you don't score points for, you know, fainting someone and not doing anything with it. So what did you think of that? Is that something you noticed?
1: Yeah, it was something I noticed as well and I pointed out because I watched it with my brother this time. And um, it seems that often when there's these narratives to the fight, and obviously the big narrative was uh, Izzy moving up a weight and becoming a two-weight world champion because at the end of the day, who the hell cares about Jan? So that was the narrative being pushed up the entire time. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and you see that in the way that the fight's being commentated. It's always to pick out the narrative that they want to see, what they want us to see. And it's just, it's a shame. And, and you know, you think when you get in these high-skilled commentators, and especially with the UFC, I don't feel like they've been as bad in the past as we see with uh, the usual suspects in British boxing, but um, it, it was a shame. And I think it, it didn't really uh, give Jan the credit that he deserved kind of for 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 the standing I mean would not not exactly trade in a war, but at least standing there with him and uh and when he advanced he he looked dangerous.
0: Yeah, and I think I guess when he sort of did get into that great position at the very end of the fight, a part of me was thinking, you know, could he have not done that sooner? And, you know, if he'd got the finish, I think it would have been a bit more conclusive, even though Obviously, we'll we'll talk about the scorecards as to how conclusive they were. Um, I think it would have been a a nicer way to to finish the fight for Jan. Um, And I think it's something which, I guess as we saw in the last round, was sort of always there. But I think as Izzy maybe got a bit more tired, obviously that might have played a, a little bit of a factor. And, um, you know, if that if you haven't got perfect technique on the ground, you know, you're going to eat up a lot of energy. And I think by the end of round five, Izzy was a bit spent on the ground and, you know, realised that he couldn't get up, tried to hip escape quite a few times and it just wasn't really working. So yeah, in terms of that scoring then, I mean, I think two judges had it 49-45, um, which... I think is incredibly harsh really. I mean I I I probably you know could see uh most people giving that fight maybe like you know 48 47 to Jan. um but I think anything more than that to call any of those rounds a 10 8 I think is 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 harsh really. Um so yeah, what did you think of the scoring?
1: Um it's confusing. I I mean what I thought a ten eight was a clearly dominant, destructive round, and when they're yeah. just giving them out for a round that a guy's won, I mean, that I, I honestly don't know what the what the judges were scoring there because surely they they've got a certain criteria that they're meant to meet, and that did not seem to meet it. It wasn't it wasn't like he was being absolutely ground and pounded and beaten no, up and battered. He was guard. just a man lying on top of him. Exactly. Yeah. And lying on top it isn't, yeah. isn't dominated. I mean, yeah. uh, I mean, it seemed like um, interesting judging to me. And I think uh, Dana White said the same thing as well, didn't he? He said uh, mm. that they needed to get their act together. And it seemed like really the case with that. Because you, you see sometimes where a fight is taking an absolute pummeling on the feet for a round and it gets scored a 10-9. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, so it needs to. It really
1: needs to be sorted out. I, th-
0: I think, in that sense as well, because Jan had the weight advantage for him to take Izzy down, and of course, this won't be factored into the scoring because the judges just have to score it. You know, like they see it. Um, but for Jan to win those rounds essentially just by staying on the top in half guard and using his weight, of course there's technique there, you know, no one's doubting that his technique on the ground is better than Izzy's, but in terms of difficulty rating, it doesn't rank particularly highly. And, you know, you're thinking of like the fact that there would probably be quite a few of the light heavyweights that could have done that exact same thing to Izzy when you look at it. So although I think, you know, definitely credit to Jan. He, he figured out how to fight the fight. Um, you know, it's not his problem that Izzy decided to weigh in so light. But at the same time, I think, yeah, he, like I said before, it would have been nice for him to have a bit more of a conclusive uh, win in in that sense, like by using his weight to, I guess, even, even more of an advantage. And another thing I just like want to point out as well is, I think before this fight, maybe a couple of days before the fight, I sort of expected... I know, expected a close fight, but I think I expected you know a sort of a big Izzy to come in and you know use his advantages on on the feet, um, and you know basically hit Jan hard enough to the point where he probably finished the fight um, in you know what would be quite a close war. But interestingly, I, I was listening to um, the Ariel Hawani podcast and I listened to him interview both fighters um, and i don't know. It's, it's quite a puzzling interview that you had with, with Izzy. Um, you know, there's quite a few things to point out that just did not sound right. I mean, well, first of all, um, the, the weight issue with him, basically just deciding to weigh in at slightly over what he would probably usually be um, sort of weighing for like actual, when he's, when he's about to, you know, actually fight. So he's basically a slightly heavier middleweight. Um, and when you consider how much heavier Yan was on the night, um, you know, obviously that was a massive factor, but I think more importantly, when, uh, Ariel asked him, you know, why, how did this fight come about? He basically said, this wasn't my decision. My team opted for this fight. Um, and I was thinking, well, even if that was the case. Wouldn't you just lie about it and say, oh, I, I picked this guy out. I saw some flaws in his game. You know, I wanted this fight. I think it was a really strange sort of thing to admit because you're basically saying like, I didn't choose this. I don't, don't didn't really want to do this. Um, and then also it came out that he was getting paid more for this fight. Um, so clearly that was the sort of motivation and it sort of sounded like he was, you know, turning up for a payday rather than to actually win this fight. And it was it was very strange. And I think from that moment on I was like, Hold on, I think Johan actually might have the have the advantage here because yeah, it was just a very, very strange interview and almost a bit too honest, I think, really.
1: I think part of the gimmick that Izzy had going into this was that it, it was almost as if it was nothing for him, you know. And that was it, him playing up this kind of nonchalant, non-caring, oh, it's just moving up. It doesn't really make a difference at all. It doesn't matter who it is. And I think that's the that's the kind of impression he was probably aiming to give, but he definitely didn't come across that way. And, and, you know, you didn't see that kind of, confidence and swagger that you usually see with izzy it seems just a bit more like oh um you know i'm just here for business and you know it's, sometimes it's more exciting for us when we get to see that that izzy that shows up with real finesse and i think we missed out a bit on that and, and that's probably why he didn't go in there and perform in the kind of style bender way that we used to you know seeing him uh evade shots and and hit from beautiful angles you know he didn't really get mm. any of that so so was it just that Soulbender wasn't switched on on Saturday mm. night. It was more just, oh, this is, is he going in there and having a fight against a guy that he doesn't really respect as much?
0: Yeah, and I think he, he sort of plays, or he, I think during the fight week, he sort of played into this idea that he has this Warriors mindset um, because that clip went viral of him saying, you know, I'm prepared to die in the fifth round against Gastelum. And part of me was thinking, well, Well, not only were you winning that fight, but also you're fighting Kelvin Gastelum. And, you know, it's easy to say like, oh, I, you know, went in there and dug deep and whatever. Okay, great. That's good. But, you know, if you're in the fifth round and you're losing to Jan, who's a lot bigger than you, um, it's a much more difficult thing to sort of take that warrior's mindset. And I think that's more of a test of, um, you know, how tough you are in a fight. Uh, than you know the sort of fifth round against Gastelum and I think that was probably proven to be honest with you.
1: Yeah, it's easy to lose that kind of warrior spirit when you realise how up against it you are. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, exactly. I think I think that was exactly what came across really in that final yeah. round.
0: Well, um, well, we'll see where the light like, heavyweight division goes from here. But uh, I think, yeah, it's definitely still a big win for Jan. Um, and yeah, I would like to see him really sort of kick on from here and and uh, yeah, rack up a few title defences. I guess we're gonna have to talk about the slaughtering, which was Nunes versus Anderson. Um, it was. I guess we're gonna have
1: to. I think
0: always gonna be. It was always gonna be an execution. I think uh, <laughs> they tried to, as with all these sort of well big fights, especially title fights, they always try to legitimise the the contender. Um, and I think I don't know. For me, I just I never saw her having a. a any chance whatsoever. Um, you know, I've seen a fight multiple times now. Uh, she was on the card when I was in Melbourne and yes, yeah, so I've seen a fight live, you know, against someone who was unranked, I think, and, you know, won the fight, it wasn't even that convincing. Um, there is just a serious, serious lack of contenders in this division. And I think it's actually a problem because I don't know where the motivation comes from, from Amanda Nunez. Really going forward, just to be the club uh, have to, yeah, I mean, wow, well, I guess maybe she enjoys it, but it feels like they 're going to have to create someone in a lab at this point to to compete with her, um, because there is no one unfortunately, uh, but yeah, oh uh,
1: yeah, uh, Greg, I saw this huge woman getting in the in the option and i haven 't seen much of uh, Megan Anderson, to be honest, so I just saw an absolute Goliath, and I thought she would probably kill me <laughs> um. I thought no, I think it was kind of expected, but I, you just you just hope that someone can at least give her a, a good fight. But at this point, it just seems pointless. Like, I, I what are they going to do? I think what the surely the next step is that we just give her some men to beat up. Like, I, <laughs> I want to see her go up against yeah. some like featherweight. No, to be fair, I wouldn't want to see her against featherweight men. But stick her in against some bantamweight. So let's see if she can actually yeah. beat up. Because let, let's be honest. Like, genuinely, yeah, what fight do we want to watch that she could be in? Like, Shevchenko, again, it, it wasn't even that exciting. It's only the fact that they're both so good. Um, mm. So I, I don't really know. And the thing is, you like, the whole time it was, oh, Chris Cyborg, that's going to be an amazing fight. Chris Cyborg, oh, my God. And then, ah, oh, it's just, it's the same again. And yeah. at what point what does I mean... it become unfair? At <laughs> what point is it just a, a complete <laughs> well, mismatch? But well, it's all not the unfair. Time? yeah
0: well i mean it shouldn't be unfair anyway but i I guess you know if you were to pick someone again it would probably be cyborg and you sort of just i guess try and give her the benefit of the doubt that she just messed up basically and tried to trade with with uh, with amanda and um yeah maybe just see how she would fight it the second time but it's difficult to see it going any other way really um but it's kind of funny with with these kind of fights like you don't see them very often really now in terms of like how far fight sports have come, whether that be, you know, I guess not really in boxing unless you're fighting like a journeyman or whatever, but in like a top, top UFC fight, you know, how often do you see someone go into a fight and look like physically scared of the, of the opponent? Mm. I mean, cause that's what Anderson looked like when she, when she walked in. And as soon as the fight started and she felt like one punch, it was like the fear in her eyes, like that's not something, you know, you've seen since like the Mike Tyson days, you know, when he just, it is like a public slaughtering. Um, so in some ways it's, it's sort of like an exhibition, which is kind of cool to watch, but <laughs> yeah, it, you also want to see a competitive fight eventually? And, you know, we, we watch the UFC because we want to see the best fight, the best, but unfortunately there is no other best in uh, in that division.
1: No, at the moment no and it's, it's like similar in boxing when you watch katie taylor um against some of the you know in comparison to some of the other women in the division there's just clearly that massive gap in in their ability and i think that's the same thing you see with amanda nunez in the ufc at the minute is there's just such a gap between her and everyone else at her weight class that i mean it's, 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 I, don't, I don't know what to, i don't know what to do i mean i'd happily sit here and choose some bantamweight men that we can chuck her in there with um also you know just, just get like some some women stick them on steroids or something get them up to 200 pounds mm. and just get them in there see if she could beat them up I, at this point, surely weight cusses doesn't even matter. Find a big old lump, like in the lo- local pub, 250-pound woman, six foot two, chuck her in there and see what Amanda can do to her. I'd rather watch that.
0: <laughs> well, I guess one thing I'll say is that we it very much felt like we were in a similar situation. You know, it was How long ago was it now? Three or four years when um, Ronda Rousey was absolutely destroying everyone yeah. and then probably all a bit of a longer sudden, than three know, or four now greg probably is the time seems to have yeah, just, yeah it must be more like six or but six or seven yeah i'm sure it is yeah, but actually probably yeah, 2021 um yeah, 20, yeah. 20, but anyway, like, 2015 yeah yeah um so yeah well, i mean we obviously thought that was never never going to happen and then one head kick and that's it your career is over so um you know and and obviously then that came the emergence of amanda nunez so you you never know you never know i don't quite see who that potential person would be at the moment um but
1: we'll see we'll see here's a question for you greg and uh this this is one just to get the juices flowing um so say amanda nunez she's on this amazing winning streak 12 winning streak now um and she's obviously, you know, just beat everyone that we've put in front of her. Can we rank her up there with the best, in the best in the sport, or best in the sport of all time? Say in, with the likes of Anderson Silva and John Jones, George St Pierre. Because let's be honest, the people that they beat in their prime were amazing contenders. Has Amanda Nunez had that kind of competition, which we can happily then put her in the in the same kind of categories as, as those world's be- best ever MMA fighters? Surely, surely we can't I when think, she's fighting people like Megan Anderson.
0: No, but I think so, because if you look at who she beat before that, the only reason there's no one left is because she absolutely destroyed every really serious, legitimate contender like cyborg like ronda rousey you know, like misha tate like she's just destroying these people who are completely legitimate you know who otherwise would have gone down as one of the best ever it's just unfortunate that there's no more left um, whereas in other divisions you know these guys are beaten some of the top guys and there's still been more people coming through but we've hit a point now where there's just no one else coming through um so you know and that's also not something which she can control. You know, you can only beat whoever's out there. So um, yeah, I think, well, the difficult thing with that question is it's so difficult to measure how competitive a division is. Like who's to say that she isn't just so much better than the sort of normal standard of a division, if that makes sense, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to sort of gauge as to you know how good the other people are if there's somebody who's so much better. You know, for example, take Khabib in the lightweight division. You know, he's either absolutely the best thing ever or everybody else is too far behind. Mm. You know, I don't know. It's like one of them, it's a difficult thing to measure, I think.
1: Yeah, and I think the thing is, like, unfortunately, because of the, for me, the competition isn't, you know, Like like with boxing and when you remember those greatest of all time and you're thinking about the Four Kings era, the the reason they're remembered Mm. is because of the level of competition between the four of them and how amazing it was. And I think that's the thing that Amanda's never had and never will have is that competition which just draws everyone's eyes to it. Uh, that, That kind of, you know, when you see amazing go up against amazing and you see amazing fights... Um and, and that's a thing that uh, Amanda's lacking for me, where we'd be able to say, mm. you know, she's she's, you know, the be- the best ever uh, in in men's it, or it, women's ever, mate.
0: Isn't that kind of an interesting thought, though? Because that just goes to show, like, when you watch a five-round fight and it's an absolute war and someone edges it out, you almost view that as, like, just that fighter who won is is greater than the person who absolutely destroys someone in 20 seconds because your first thought after that fight is, what was their opponent doing? Like, why were they so bad? Whereas in the other fight, you're like, even though they won by a smaller margin it's like, Oh, what a great competition. This person must be, you know, the best thing ever. Um, it's a, it's a weird one. Like sometimes that is the case that is the sort of mindset that people have. Um, and yeah, it sort of goes back to what we're saying about not being able to control what your competitors do, but yeah, no, it's an interesting topic for sure.
1: Yeah yeah well i think it's something that you know hopefully we see these kind of people and especially as, as the sport evolves and more women come into the sport we'll see you know the emergence of more top top fighters in the women's division and hopefully then that drives up the level among everyone
0: yeah absolutely absolutely it's, it's something which is going to take time but it will come eventually i just don't know if it will come before Nunes retires which will be a shame
1: that would be a shame that would be a shame
0: So Jan versus Sterling, um, the highly, highly controversial fight, which I guess didn't end in the way that we wanted it to, although, I mean, it was quite dramatic, so it was amazing. It gave us lots to talk about. Um, what do I want to talk about first? I'll talk about how, sort of, how the fight was playing out until then. I thought it was, it was, um, it's pretty clear that Jan was being very patient. Um, obviously Sterling was really trying to fight this, this fight on the, on the offensive. Um. Pressuring coming forward. Um, and straight away, that was something which the commentators picked up on. Um, you know, is he going to be able to, to keep this pace up? Um, also, I thought it was actually kind of interesting, Joe Rogan's comment um, when Sterling sat down. I think it was between rounds two and three. Um, and he said, oh, his coach has asked him, you know, how are you, how are you getting on? How do you think you're doing? And he says, oh, yeah, he says, "Yes." Yeah, Stur- Sterling took a really big, he said, yeah, he took a really big breath. <laughs> Um, and that means they're tired so who would who'd have thought that who would have thought um, that's you know it makes me think that we could probably be analysts for UFC at this point Joe Rogan um, Joe
1: Rogan some of the honestly some of the rubbish he comes up with I, yeah. I it blows my mind he does seem to be getting considerably worse, doesn't he? I, I, know. I think he wasn't I, I don't know what was
0: going on. He's just getting older, uh, he's been sparring too much. I don't know. And but everyone he, everyone
1: uh, he sees as well is he's one of the greatest strikers. Or <laughs> he is one of the most yeah. evolved. And it's like, Jesus, Joe, you say this yeah. about every single fighter now.
0: I know. One of the best everything, literally. No, um But yeah, so that was clearly how the fight was going, and it was looking like quite clearly that Yam was going to, was going to get the finish really, if not just win quite considerably or quite comfortably on points. Um, and then came what was probably one of the stupidest decisions <laughs> I've ever seen in any fight ever. Um, you know, talk about a blatant disregard or lack of knowledge on the rules. Um, I, I mean, I guess, they were talking about the fact that he, you know, he obviously asked. He asked his coaches, um, you know, can I, can I do this? Can I, can I knee him in the head? But he should know that. He should know the rules. Like <laughs> he's the one who's fighting to, to everyone, ask that question that. mid-fight. Yeah, I mean, we know the rules. It was bizarre. And then, I mean, well, yeah, I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you interject now because I could talk about this for days. But go on.
1: Honestly, it, it was such a shame for me because I was i was loving it and you know i know we did the podcast the other week where we spoke about best boxers in the ufc and i feel ridiculous for not including peta in that because his boxing in that fight, peta his his his, (laughs) his boxing in that fight was phenomenal and that's the thing he actually is such such a good boxer it's so clean it's so crisp and, and and i feel ashamed that we managed to miss him out greg that was an oversight on our part um but that's the thing for me in that fight. You saw an elite fighter versus a good fighter, but but let's be honest, Aljamain Sterling, in my opinion, looked looked wild and rugged and, mm. and just not very you know not not elite you know not not mm. not in control and and that's the thing. You just saw him winging shots, trying trying to trying to get any way through he could, and all Yan had to do was just. Cover up, high guard, mm. wait, 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 and bam! And then as soon as he started landing, it was just—it was clean, it was crisp, it was—it mm. was lovely to watch. And, and despite the the awful finish, which is <laughs> it's, it's just ridiculous, I mean, I don't, <laughs> As soon as I saw it, I just went, "Oh my god, what an idiot!" <laughs> but yeah. I actually really, really like Petter. He's like—he's mm. seriously, seriously good fighter. Seriously good. Mm. A- Apart from obviously his ground game, which I think yeah. is uh, is going to come into question with a lot of top fighters, but his stand up game mm. is so so good, and yeah. he's such a lovely boxer. J- but, just needs um, to
0: work on his fight IQ a little bit, I
1: think. Well, <laughs> but I think the the, the thing that's become ob- obvious is that he's a boxer rather than an MMA fighter because he has no <laughs> clue of any of the rules. Um, but I mean, oh, it was it was bad. It looks bad. It did look bad. It did look bad. But mm. I mean, I've seen all the tweets about Jermaine's um, acting, and he deserves an Oscar. Mm. What do you reckon, Greg? Was it acting? Did he play up to it? Well,
0: look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'll come to that in a second. I'll, I'll quickly oh, talk about. I've been put back um, in my seat.
1: Sorry, sorry, ladies and gents.
0: <laughs> no, I just want to make sure I don't miss anything because there's quite a few <laughs> things things to talk about. Um, in terms of Sterling's strategy, I found it a little bit like he just didn't have a a strategy or a plan for five rounds. He was sort of like hoping that he'd be able to put pressure on him and sort of try and get him out there in in a couple of rounds, if not the first round, it looked like with how much pressure he was putting on him. Um, And I think that in itself showed a little bit of a lack of self-belief because you only really fight that fight if you don't really believe you're as good as someone else and you're just going to try and go in there and sort of give it your, your all for like two rounds and try and sort of like, you know, roll the dice and hope it hope it pays off. If you don't believe that, I guess you don't believe that you got a good enough cardio, but also you don't believe that you're as good as that person, you know, over the course of five rounds. So that was quite disappointing. Um, and yeah, he just, you could tell like you were saying the fact that he was winging shots, it was almost the opposite uh, of what Jan was doing because everything he was doing was so efficient. It was like using the minimal amount of energy for every shot. And it was just so clean. It was like watching a sort of like a robot versus somebody who was just like flailing their, their limbs about. Um, So, I mean, obviously that contributed towards the, the uh, fatigue of, of Sterling, but to come to your question, I think, I guess it puts him in a situation where if you're him, right, you're losing that fight and you have been legitimately like almost knocked out by a knee for you to try and continue that fight. You're basically, you're going to get knocked out in the next 10, 15 seconds. And also you're probably not going to get a rematch. So like, I'm not saying he did do that, but looking at it from where the incentives are, I wouldn't be surprised if he milked it a little bit but I also don't blame him for that because he's got to look out for himself and it's actually not fair to ask him to continue from that point even if it didn't you know completely knock him out it was clearly not okay um so I think actually that was probably the best thing they could do because you know even like a two-point deduction it wouldn't have done anything because you know he would have got the finish so um I don't blame him but yeah it's a it's a Definitely a tough situation. If you imagine that was that was you, I don't know how you would have gone about that, but
1: yeah, I, I don't know because that's the thing you see with um, like Anthony Lionheart Smith, where he just you know he just okay, I'm going to fight on, and he manages to fight his way through the fight, and that's the thing. I just I you just can't win a title that way, and as a fighter and Aljamain Sterling must be feeling ashamed of himself because like it's bad enough saying boxing when a sanctioning body hands you about. Um, but like, can you imagine just, just winning it by DQ because, because of yeah. a, a, a stupid knee? I mean, for me, I, 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 what I'd have wanted is, you know, a no contest there. It should, you should never win, win, win a title in that kind of scenario. It, mm. it seems wrong. It seems completely wrong. But I mean, well, obviously, obviously Jan, uh, Peter, Peter Jan's done the wrong thing, but mm-hmm. and, and he should be punished. Um, but you just can't see a man winning a title like that when he doesn't deserve I, it.
0: I, one thing I'll say about that, and it's something which I think Joe Rogan said on commentary as well, is that you know you shouldn't win a fight like that or you shouldn't be able to win a title by dq um and i get that point but i i think logistically it doesn't work because i don't know if you used to watch the wwe when you're younger but oh, um they used to basically do that so the champion couldn't lose his title if he lost by dq and so as you can imagine all the guys, if they were like a bad guy in (laughs) in wrestling, yeah, they just get the steel chair and they, when they're losing the fight and they just like, you know, get disqualified. And so it's a massive loophole. Like, again, it would be surprising if it happened. But, you know, if you are a champion, you're losing a fight, you go and kick someone in the balls and, you know, that's it. You you retain your title, you know, like it'll probably be a riot um, in in the stadium, but like technically it could happen. So I think unfortunately it has to be that way. But I think, really, every time there's a DQ, there has to be a rematch. I don't think there's any argument with that. You know, particularly if that person who got disqualified was winning. um, Yeah, they'll definitely have a rematch. And I think that Sterling was sort of just making sure he got that rematch. I don't know if you saw that picture of him as well, by the way, because obviously he refused to to strap the title around his waist when he was in the Octagon, but... There's a picture of him with his mates, and he's like smiling with the belt on him, and it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't look great for the whole. Oh, night, I haven't seen you know. that. No, no, no. I have to send it to you, but it's uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't say that helped his cause really in the situation. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah,
1: you'd think it could be done on a fight by fight basis because you've got. The judges there, you know, you've got the referees, you've got the commissioners there. Why can't it be done on on a on an individual basis? Because, I mean, in that case, I really didn't want to see Aljamain winning the title off of that performance. It just, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't know if it, if, it, if it's opening up the door to too many too many wrongdoings, but. You'd, you'd think it's something they can decide on the night, and if someone's done it intentionally because of them losing, then they can still lose the bout. But if it, if it's just like a stupid mistake, which I I I, I don't know if I'm going to class as that that as what it was, but it seemed like in that case I wouldn't have wanted to see Jan uh, lose the bout.
0: Yeah, look, yeah, I understand it. Um, I guess it's yeah. Where do you draw the line? That's a difficult thing. I mean, it was obviously ruled an intentional foul. Um, because it you know, it wasn't like a sort of snap reaction or whatever, like his knee was close to the ground or whatever, you know, it was, his knee was, was it both knees or something on the ground? Or one uh, knee, I can't remember. Yeah, I think it
1: was just one knee, but it was fully, fully grounded. But
0: yeah, it, there was no way he couldn't have known that. So I don't know, it's, it is a difficult one. I think the, the thing I'll say is what I'm glad didn't happen is that, you know, they sort of forced Sterling to carry on. And then him just getting like, and like maybe only deducted two points and then he just gets knocked out like 20, 30 seconds later because that is also, it's not only is it not fair, but it's also terrible in terms of like fighter safety. That is just not a good idea. So I think the main the best thing that happened, what I will say is that they stopped the fight, you know, regardless of what happened with the result, they were right to stop the fight.
1: Oh, um, so Greg, I'm, glad,
0: I'm glad that happened.
1: To the point. How about... Mm-hmm uh gets a free knee back on the head <laughs> yeah and then yeah, they yeah, fight yeah. on
0: that sounds like when you're younger and you're like i don't know i accidentally hit your sibling or whatever like, you can have a free shot yeah i'll let you hit me back
1: if you can do it as a kid why can't you do it as an MMA fighter? Yeah. it may be a oh certain way forward
0: that's like yeah, that i could well, i him. would
1: actually quite like to see i mean it'd be terrible for the brains but yeah it would be, it would be interesting yeah
0: we, we, yeah, we often toe the line between, like, you know, an, a martial art and sort of, like, being barbaric, and I think that would be a little bit too far. <laughs> like, they might as well just get swords at that point and start trying to kill each other, really.
1: Yeah, true. Know, but... True. Uh, I'll side with you on that one then, Greg. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess the rule is there in the first place because of how dangerous it is to, like, kick or knee somebody when, when they're on the ground. but um... Oh,
1: Greg, but it's okay to knee someone in the head when their hands are... Twenty, uh, twenty millimeters <laughs> off know, the floor. Man. Then I that know, is a, completely but, fine. But, I mean, I that's know, allowed. But twenty millimeters <laughs> lower, and
0: no, you can't do it. And then there's a lot of rules which just, yeah, are a bit baffling in MMA. It's, uh, I think even to somebody, like, to to somebody who doesn't watch MMA as well, like the amount of times, like, I'll hear my dad say, "Are they allowed to elbow each other? Are they actually allowed to knee each other?" Like, well, yeah, they are. But then I think when you, because you're so used to watching it, but when you take a step back and you like damn, they're actually allowed to, like, knee each other in the head. I mean, yeah, yeah it's, pretty, it's pretty legit, and you consider how dangerous that is, but, you know, fighting is dangerous, I think, so that's yep. it, that's the thing.
1: Top tip for you there, kids. Fighting is dangerous. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but there has to be – the point is, though, there has to be a line, you know, and it's yeah. difficult to draw that line sometimes, you know. You can't just say, oh, well, I can go and kick you in the nuts, and that's all right. You know, there's got to be some rules to what, what they're doing. Otherwise, it is just,
1: you know – no, but it could be up to well, Dana to come Dana comes in and kicks them in the nuts and they continue.
0: Well, it really is like WWE at that point, isn't it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Vince McMahon coming in. Oh uh, it would it would look just for one of them.
0: Well, it definitely had a bit of drama, that's for sure. Okay, so we're also going to want to talk about um, the Izan Makachev fight. Obviously, he's a real hot prospect in that division, um, touted as you know the, the new Khabib or the future Khabib, we'll see. Um, do you see him sort of following a similar path? I mean, it seemed like a pretty impressive win. Um, yeah, it's obviously difficult to judge, but where do you see him going from here?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's just become quite a bit of a... Um a typical thing now to see these Dagestani boys just smashing uh, all of the Western lads up. I mean, another example where um, one of these Dagestani fighters can just take a, a, a great striker down and just pummel the hell out of them, uh, exactly the same as what you saw with Khabib. So I think how, until some way becomes apparent to stop it or to combat it, which hasn't been found yet he's going to keep being um successful like you see him with kim have at the minute coming through and now that exactly the same as you see him with islam mekachev you know there's, there's there seems to be no way of stopping the 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 surgeons him to the top so i don't know <laughs> yeah he's gonna be great i mean the only the only thing i see is you know he's called out tony ferguson if he loses that fight um you know, does that bring uh, Khabib back out to fight
0: Tony? Oh, that's a shout. That would be good, actually. Yeah, that's quite. It's quite an interesting. I mean, narrative. surely that's yeah. it. He's coming back to the. I sort of like I guess we're, we're almost getting the Khabib um, Ferguson fight that we never got through through Islam Makachev. So exactly. now that would be would be really interesting. Um, you'd think, though, I guess it will get to a point, maybe in ten or twenty years, that surely somebody from like you know some of the the top american gyms um or even in this country is going to have figured out or at least you know sort of crafted fighters who can fight sambo that sambo style as good as they could do it i mean surely i don't know i mean maybe we just wouldn't have the the instructors in in here in this country or in america um but, you know, it's, it's, it can't be too long before Sambo sort of spreads to other countries or at least this sort of combat Sambo style that we're seeing in the UFC. Uh, because, you know, I mean, we can see what's happening in the cage. I mean, but it's just going to take time for other people to work that out and to try and copy those techniques and and to do it as well as they've done it. I'm sure it will happen eventually. But at the moment, there seems to be a massive gap between guys that can do it and guys that can't do it. There doesn't seem to be an answer, like you said. Yeah. Um it just is it's going to be like interesting to see how long that lasts because, you know, as with the sort of general evolution of the UFC um, and MMA in general, uh, there's always, you know, an emerging fight style that works for a certain amount of time and then something else comes along and that's better than this. And, you know, we go through sort of phases and, and eras in the UFC, and this seems to be the era of, you know, the guys that can fight combat Sambo, particularly in that lightweight division. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Like, I don't know what, if this will last forever, maybe. Who knows? Mm. Maybe it will never go away.
1: Well, that's the thing, Yeah, You see, you see it with all martial arts, you know, and uh, you think back to the emergence of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in the UFC and how it just overpowered everyone. And then, Brazilian jiu-jitsu jiu-jitsu gyms are now all over the world and everyone's trained in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Obviously you get the the elite Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys but it seems mm. that everyone's got that training. I imagine I imagine it'll be the same with um combat sambo. And the thing is as well like the trouble is for us English boys in America at least they have wrestling. Mm. We, it's not. Yeah. wrestling is not a big sport here at all. So realistically how 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 is our grappling going to you know, in clinch, we're going to compare to to everywhere else in the world. We really yeah. need to start advancing well, it doesn't, it in, doesn't compare. in that aspects.
0: I mean, you take the the Till Woodley fight. I mean, that was there was no bigger display of it than that, really, was there? Um, you know, it, it's uh, it's going to be something which takes a lot of years to build up. I mean, there is you know a lot of good jiu jitsu in this country, but to compete with some of those guys and some of those schools in America and in Brazil, who have you know been doing this for for decades and decades it's difficult. Um, like I said, I think it will just take time, but certain countries and certain gyms will always specialize in certain things. And that's, you know, it's a difficult thing. It's, it's the classic thing in, in, in MMA. Do you try to bank on the skills that you have and hope that that overpowers where the other person is weak? Or do you try and sort of, work on your weaknesses to try and hang with their strengths um, because there's just not enough hours in the day to train everything, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's a a gamble. Um, I just think we're going to have to start training fighters to a point where if they could just survive on the ground with some of the top grapplers in the world, then it would give them a chance to show some of their strengths on the feet, you know, with their classic British boxing style. Um, So if we could at least get, those sort of flaws in our ground game up to a point where you know we're holding our own then we might have a chance but i don't know it's a difficult one no
1: yeah. and that's that uh, and that just becomes the the apparent thing in a minute is that we can't compete everywhere with every nation in the world and it's a shame because there's obviously like in america that you, you're trained in everything so hopefully we adapt to that kind of uh, that level and and we're you know but but the thing is as well MMA is a lot younger in in the UK you got to think the the only real time we saw the MMA boom was when Conor McGregor was coming through in like 2014 2015 so you know it's, we, we are still playing catch up but you know we're playing catch up to a good level you see darren till and neon edwards now in the ufc and obviously michael bispin who was always there uh, the pioneer for us but you know i imagine we'll get to that kind of level where we're competing with the you know the the top nations in the world
0: yeah well i'm sure we will um but it does definitely seem like a long long time away Okay, um, well, we'll finish with just a quick note on the Cruz versus Kenny fight. Uh, again, I think it was a bit more obvious this time than the um, the Izzy fight as to who the commentators wanted to win. Um, obviously, with, with Dominic Cruz being a fellow analyst of theirs, um, I don't think their biases were really very well hidden in this fight. Um, I never particularly liked the way Dominic Cruz fights. I think it's a little bit in general when I, when I, when I think about fights, which are a bit more boring in MMA, a lot of people complain about people who wrestle and take someone down and aren't, don't particularly do much. There's not many people who complain about those people who are stand up fighters and they basically fight a points fight. You know, it's that sort of karate. I'm just going to touch you and then, you know, back away type of fight. Like someone like Steven Thompson might do, um, and they're just, yeah, they're basically just trying to bag rounds. And yeah, it just wasn't a particularly convincing performance. It, you know, you don't really feel like he has that power to do any damage. And he, he's basically just point scoring against somebody who, you know, is a pretty average fighter already in this division, despite Joe Rogan calling him one of the best strikers ever or something, with what he said. Oh, what a surprise um, from Joe! Interesting take. <laughs> Um, so yeah I don't know I just don't really see the point really in in Cruz like carrying on to fight at this point he's not going to beat anyone uh, in the elite Um, and I don't think he's particularly entertaining either so he doesn't really offer too much
1: I definitely agree and I'm so fed up of this narrative that Dominic Cruz is some superior Matrix boxing MMA guy he's bloody well not I mean, you you watch the footwork, and he does a figure of eight, which fair enough. It's, it's, it's it can be elusive sometimes, but occasionally it actually doesn't help at all. But. I mean, this this amazing footwork is teamed up with the fact that he stares directly at the ground and swings that overhand right every time. I mean, that's a rule one-on-one you get taught in boxing, is do not look at the ground. Uh, and, and it's unbelievable to me that this elite, like greatest ever boxer in the UFC just stares directly at the ground and swings an overhand right every on every single offence as well. It's not like he just does it occasionally. He does it on every single offence. And, I mean, the... It, for me now, maybe a few years—you know, ten years ago when the sport was less evolved, his style was advanced then in comparison to the fighters we had at that time. Um, but but now when you see the you know you see Peter Yan and you see the actual boxing ability of fighters, he really doesn't rank up there among them anymore. And and it's you know I, I, I don't want to see you know an, an old man with. Now a subpar boxing standard. Go go up and fight, you know, killers like Corey Sandhagen and uh, Peter Yan and even T.J. Dillashaw. Now I'd say that once he comes back, I can't imagine him not starching Dominic Cruz. I mean, for me, for me, that's the thing. I don't want to see him go fight against you know unranked guys and i don't want to see him go up against top ranked guys anymore i mean he may as well just ride off into the sunset and be accepted as a good analyst
0: yeah no I and mean, it's sort of like to your point there with the fact that he's a good analyst i think he is a good analyst um he's a clever guy uh and so there isn't really a need for him to keep fighting as well it sort of feels like one of them instances where you've got a a retired guy who's like watching fights and thinking I could beat them, you know, uh, you know, and it's just sort of like, really mate, like, come on, you had a great career. Um, you know, you were the champion, you were a dominant champion for a long time, um, but you, you've actually been one of the lucky people who's managed to retire from the UFC with, you know, no real damage, no real brain damage because you, you know, you, you well and, um, you're good at what you do and there's a big career for you in, you know analyzing these fights so I don't really get it um again I don't really see where he goes from here it wasn't particularly impressive um so yeah I mean of course it's always his choice you know but i I don't really understand it and yeah I, I don't really know why he's doing this no.
1: No, well and that's the thing i think it's like when you see your dad uh and in, in his 40s he thinks that he's still got it you know uh it's time, yeah, it's to, my dad it's time... still thinks
0: he can beat me up but well I mean, well, well yeah, greg in your case gone.
1: in your case he probably could um <laughs> but but that's the thing i think it's just a bit of uh, having to accept that you're no longer the top guy anymore and it's, it's probably a difficult pill for him to swallow
0: yeah absolutely but um it's definitely a pill that you need to swallow because the consequences for, for not swallowing that pill are quite catastrophic. So, um, retire please. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure. Well, well I don't know. We'll, we'll see if he retires. I hope he does. Um, but yeah, I just hope he makes a smart decision and uh, returns back to the, the analyst team. But yeah, I think all in all, it was, uh, it was, I guess, a little bit of an anticlimactic card. Um, It'll be interesting to see where some of these fights go next. I mean, I'm sure we'll get the Yan rematch. Um, Petty Yan, that is. Um, but where does Nunes go? I'm not too sure. There's a few people that Jan, uh, Jan Blachowicz could be fighting in the light heavyweight division. But um, yeah, it would be interesting really to see. Thank you very much for listening to the Left Up Larry podcast. We'll be trying to put a podcast out every single
1: week. I hope you have a great day.